speaking of guests, of course, uh, it's time to join my next guest, and uh, he's a winemaker. Ben Caldwell is his name, and, and amongst other things, makes the wines at Seven Eves. It's good morning to you, Ben Caldwell. How are you today? G'day, Richo. I'm very well. How are you going? Going well, mate. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Now, um, because I, I, I think I'll take the listeners into the whole experience here. I had a had an email from one of your um, one of you guys there, Justin. Um, so your wine's got ranged at, at Dan Murphy's and at certain Dan Murphy's anyway, the ones with the wine merchants, at Seven Eves Wines, and he said, oh, we want to do a little presentation with you. And I said, why don't we get you on the radio to have a bit of a chat and get a podcast? Um, and so it's the Seven Eves Wines, but you've got, a, you've got a couple of different umbrellas there. So why don't you just tell us firstly a little bit about who's, who's Ben Caldwell and how did you get into the whole game? Well, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question because we do have a few few things and i've definitely got a head for radio so it's good to be on the radio with you um so yeah so um we've got a, a new little brand called seven eves but yep. it's definitely not where we started right myself and my business partner marisa ruiz Cantu. uh he's uh, from mexico right Mex- we, we coincidentally one. went to university together studied winemaking okay uh, what in adelaide or in adelaide yep. yeah 10 years ago nice. um and just became pretty good mates, you know, as you do, and uh, drank a lot of wine together. And yeah. out of uni, we, we sort of went, what would be a really cool idea is to make some wine and send it to Mexico. <laughs> and, and obviously, everyone else laughed at us when we suggested <laughs> such a silly, crazy thing. That's an awesome uh, we idea. We did it anyway. Yeah. did it anyway. We made just a really tiny little batch of uh, Barossa Shiraz. Okay. 2013 vintage. Wow classic sort of style and and the thought was well let's try and get australian wine in front of mexican wine drinkers because yep. by and large it's it's not really on the radar in mexico or wasn't yes um you know when, huge when, market when, though huge and growing market yeah. Mexico's a very big country yes 26 128 million people amazing um and uh so we sent it over and people were like oh do they make wine in australia so that's <laughs> sort of the, the level australian wine was at there Really? So that little wow. that little brand's called Juguete, which means toy in in uh, Spanish. Ah, and so nice. that, that's how we sort of viewed it initially. It's our little toy. We we're both working in other wineries in Australia and, and abroad. And uh, we've taken it from there and fast forward to now 2023 and we're uh, Australia's largest wine exporter to Mexico. Wow. How cool. And we don't... We don't make a lot of wine, so it still sort of says how small Mexico <laughs> well, yeah. is in, in the in the scope of wine Australia. But it's still it's cool to put on the resume, I suppose. Juguete. Um, how do you say it again? Juguete. Because I saw that and I was like, honest, honestly, because I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have the paradigm of Mexico, so I was like, what's this juguet thing? Like, I had no idea. So, well, that's what I call it here: juguet wines, okay. juguet wines. There's yeah. a million ways to say it here. <laughs> no, that's cool, um, man. That's cool. And uh, yeah, but that that was sort of we were straight out of uni. It was 2013, and it was sort of the zenith of that sort of lo-fi movement in Australia. Yes, um, you know, people like James Erskine and Anton von Klopper and those guys were sort of just getting established, and, and we were drinking really lots of interesting, cool things: Italian wines, Barolos, you know, Spanish wines, and. Yep. Rivera Sacras and all that sort of stuff. And we were making Barossa Shiraz, which is fun to make, but it's not really what we were drinking at yeah. the time. Yeah. So we, we sort of went, well, let's try and make something a bit more exciting, a bit more interesting to us, uh, something that we want to drink, and also something that focuses on where Australian wine's going. And that's sort of climate-appropriate varieties, sustainably grown. Um, and being based in McLaren Vale, that 
gave us the scope to sort of explore some interesting varieties. So we started a little side project called Somos, yep. which means we are in Spanish. And so that's sort of what we wanted to make and drink, and, and we still make that. And so that, as I say, is focused on sustainably grown alternative varieties, mm-hmm. things like uh, Mencia, yep. Alianico, yep. Uh, Vermentino. Mm. Uh, we make a couple of sort of skin contact orange wines from cool. uh, Biodynamic Viognier and Biodynamic Bedello, and sort of exploring really interesting blends as well. Um, which then sort of led us into today's sort of topic, I guess, which is Seven Eves. So we take our Mencia from a little vineyard in Macclesfield, which is a sub-region of the Adelaide Hills, Southern yes. Hills. Yep. And uh, this grower, John O'Connell, vineyard's called St. Clair, and he's been growing our Mencia, sort of grafted it over for us back in the day. And uh, it's such a cool vineyard. And yep. when we were sort of like, how can we explore a bit more of this guy's vineyard we can't put it in Somos because it's really more those sort of classic French varieties, mm-hmm. um, which we all love. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. I don't think there's a wine drinker on the planet that doesn't like drinking Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so we're like, how can we make some of these things as well yeah. when they don't fit into the Somos oeuvre? Yes. And, and so we sort of, uh, it, it sort of coincided with the bushfires in sort of 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, our distributors on the East Coast had no Pinot Noir because all their other brands have been smoked out. Yeah. And they're like, boys, can you make us a Pinot Noir? And we were like, of course we can make, uh, sorry, a Pinot Gris. Yeah. Of course we can make you a Pinot Gris because we make dreams reality. But <laughs> Somos won't be the, the vessel. How about we'll do you one better yeah. and not just the Pinot Gris, we'll make you seven different wines. And right. they were like, mm, I don't know if we signed up for that, but we <laughs> did it anyway. <laughs> And uh, and then and then it, it sort of grew from there. So yeah, we're we're exploring Macclesfield is how I would put Seven Eves. Yeah, that's cool. Before we get too much into Seven Eves, I want to just dial back a bit. You were saying you had yeah. like a Bio D Skinzy Vermentin. Uh, sorry, Vidello. That is correct. Tell yeah. us about that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, well, that's a, that is a really cool little wine. So the wine's called Naranjito. Mm-hmm which means the little orange in Spanish. Okay. Uh, that's one of the Somos wines. Yeah. And that is a, a, just a really cool sort of neglected variety of Vidello, isn't it? Oh, totally sort of, underrated. Yeah, and it had, had its day, I guess, it was planted for white fortifieds back in the day, so there's yeah. a lot of it. And yeah. What did you do when fortifieds became not favourable anymore? You made some pretty boring white wines out of Vidello, and it sort of dropped in popularity from there, I think. Um, and so we sort of thought, what can we do with it? It's a really cool vineyard. It's great fruit. Fidelo yep. retains its acidity yes. uh, all throughout the ripening. So you get a nice freshness even when you get those rich flavors you want in orange wine. And so we came up with Naranjito. And the idea being we wanted to make a relatively price-friendly orange wine for you know all, all those guys out there that want to taste orange wine. Yeah, And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of people coming into all sorts of wine shops going, oh, I'd like to try this thing called orange wine. Yes. Where do I start? And then if you send them to that more heavy end of town where you get some of those really weird wines yeah. like uh, the Northern Italians, which yeah. are great wines, but they're a bit... You can't jump in straight into to those wines. They're too hardcore for people. Exactly right. And so that was sort of the goal here. So we, we picked this Fion, uh, this uh, Vidello. We pick it twice. So we pick one that's a little bit less ripe. And mm-hmm. We do that on skins for about 30 days, press it off to oak, Yep. Put it through full malolactic fermentation. We lease stir it a lot and build so this sort of nice texture, textural, yeah. 
um, interesting, rich wine. And then we pick it again, depending on uh, how long it takes and, and the season. So this year's been quite cold. So we're picking it two weeks later. And uh, we'll keep that on skins for 180 days. Oh, nice. We'll just lock it down there. And what that does, maybe counterintuitively, is it really softens the wine out the longer it's on skins. Wow. And then you get all those really cool orange wine flavors that you, yeah. you want, that sort of ginger spice and spiciness, a little bit of phenolic bitterness and yeah. all those lovely things that uh, make orange wine so interesting. And then we'll blend that back together and... Uh, yeah, there you have it. Robert's your mother's yourself. brother. So this, this, exactly. there's a couple of follow-up questions to that. So Somos wines, are they 100% exported to Mexico? No, not at all. Ab- absolutely not. So Juguete is 100% exported to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Somos is mostly uh, domestic, so we, we sell all over the country. Right. Distribution uh, in, in every state except uh, SA where we uh, sell our own, own wines. Of course. And uh, we also export Somos a little bit across across the world. So we, we send it to Japan and Korea and Canada and US, that sort of thing. Is and there, a little bit to Mexico. There's a great scene for that sort of wine in Japan, isn't there? And that's my next sort of follow-up question is like, so orange wine's obviously like a great thing to have with all kinds of foods, and but it goes better with some things than others. But is there sort of a, it's Maurizio, does he, how do you pair wine with sort of Mexican food? Is that, is that the next sort of vanguard of things we need to be doing? Uh, well, you know, I think you have to take the Mexican approach to pairing wine with Mexican food, and that's drink whatever you like. Yeah, cool. And in great abundance. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we get a bit, yeah, but, we do get a bit hung up on it. But I mean, I guess what I'm talking about is like sometimes, like I'll do a chipotle braised goat shoulder with you know like a sweet sort of smoky corn puree that I pinched from Mamacita sort of style, and yeah. you know. But obviously, some wines go better with a spice and the chili than others. But orange wine tends to work quite well with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think orange wine has that sort of good middle ground between white and red yeah. in, in, in that versatility. So it's got a bit of the freshness of white, but it's got that structure of red. Yeah. And so it does tend to go well, particularly with, say, some of those more fatty meat-based tacos, a bit of yeah. pork in there or yeah. some arrachera or something. Yeah, cool. Um, and it holds up to the spice. Yeah. No, delicious stuff. Right. So then that takes us to this new project of your seven eaves. And of course, there are seven wines. Talk us through what, what the wines are. Yeah. Soon to be seven. At the moment, oh, six. Is that so? so we'll yeah. All right. The last. Yeah. Well, we've got six <laughs> the last of them. One's coming. Yeah. Yeah. No. We, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the idea, I guess, is to explore those classic French varieties, but in a somosy way. So lo fi winemaking yep. and sort of interesting winemaking. So we, we make a Pinot Gris, make a, a Fumé Blanc style Sauvignon Blanc, make a, a really sort of modern Chardonnay. Uh, we make a carbonic skin contact Pinot Gris, mm-hmm. uh, Pinot Noir and a Syrah. Yeah. And so let's just dial in on a couple of those, right? Firstly, I'm interested in the notion of Fumé Blanc. And we've had this discussion on the radio before, and that is like I did a, a Sauvignon Blanc masterclass a few weeks ago and ended up showing things, you know, some Nysonses, Mount Mary Triolet, some classic stuff from Adelaide Hills, of course, Shaw and Smith, and, you know, you got to show those wines and, and a couple of Kiwi wines and stuff too. But I think way back in the day, Mondavi was the one who coined that Fumé Blanc, that barrel kind of thing, is what's your first... It's one of the wines I haven't cracked into yet, sitting sit in my fridge waiting for a, for an occasion. Um, How did I, a Sunday up or what? Well, I'm, I'm going out for dinner tonight, so I might, I might have a little pre-drink before I go, but... 
Is it the sort of thing that you wanted to denote the fact that it was fermented in barrels or it had a flintiness? What was the idea behind that? Yeah, so Fumé Blanc, I guess for me, like a lot of people in, in sort of my bracket where, you know, Savion Blanc was everywhere in the, the mid-2000s. And yeah. I guess we're all a bit like anything but Sav Blanc. We were, you <laughs> yeah. know, a bit tired of those really um, impressively green yes. and, and, and varietal uh, Marlborough Savs. Yes. And so for a lot of us, I think we didn't really drink Savion Blanc for no, a while. No. no, I reckon I was in that boat. And then I went to New Zealand in, in 2015 and did a vintage over there and, and had a few of those really interesting... I, I did my vintage in Central Otago, but I, yeah. I had the opportunity to drink some of those really interesting barrel-fermented Marlborough. Wild, wild yeast barrel ferments, yeah. And, and they were so interesting and textural and, you know, Chardonnay-like in some ways, but at the same time, they had this really sort of racy freshness of Sauvignon Blanc and that herbaceousness, and I sort of fell back in love with them, I guess. Yeah, cool. And so that's why we've sort of denoted this wine as Fumé Blanc, and that, that's the intention, to make something that's interesting and a bit more textural from Sauvignon Blanc while retaining all those things that you do like about Sauvignon Blanc in yeah. its fresher guises. Yeah. And so it is barrel fermented yeah. in, in that regard, mostly in large format punchins. Mm -hmm. and, and so essentially we're building complexity into this wine by having many different individual ferments. A uh, little bit of new oak in there as well to give you that flinty smokiness. Yeah. And then a little bit of MLF, but not too much. And then lots of leaves stirring. Yeah. Um, and just trying to build a really interesting, complex, but crisp style of Savion Blanc. Yeah, I think I think this is people like uh, Dog Point, Section 94, that, that sort of style of things for me for Savion Blanc really cuts down on that, the, what I call the, the sort of sweaty stinkiness, you know, the and the wild yeast and the hand-picking and the barrel ferments. Uh, but you still need to retain that that Sauvignon Blanc character, which is what you're saying you, you're trying to do. So I, I applaud you for that because that's I love Sauvignon Blanc. I think it's a cracking variety. But you know, people say oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. And I used to work as a musician, right? And people would say oh, I don't like opera. Like, have you ever been to an opera? Like, and they go, Yeah, well, I saw something and I didn't like it. You know, I'm like, Oh, so you don't like movies? What do you mean? Well, have you ever seen a bad movie? I mean, not all not all things are created equal. So I think taking something from a small vineyard, St. Clair Vineyard, right, and and making oh, a small yeah. batch and, and doing it lovingly. Well, I'm excited. In fact, I'm probably going to be home by about 11.30 and I'm going to crack it and have a taste as soon as I get home, Ben. That's cool. I, I want to talk next about the, um, the Gris, the Skinsy Gris, because I, I had a colleague leave the business recently or he's going to another shop and we, we had a few drinks after work. And, and I, I sort of wandered back down. I don't live very far from work. And I brought a wine glass and I brought your, your orange wine there, the, the Skinsy Gris. And I fell in love with it. I think it's one of the best Skinsy wines I've had from Australia, to be honest. I'm, I'm fanboying you a bit here, I know. But Thanks very much. Talk, talk us through the, the, the way that you make it a little bit because there's some cool things that you do. But it also still, for me, has a Pinot Gris character. Um, killer wine, man. Well done. Thank you very much. Yeah, so, I mean, we were talking about Naranjito earlier, which is that skin contact Verdello. It's got that really long extended maceration. And so with this particular wine, we wanted to make something a, a little bit different because we already make that sort of quintessential orange wine. Yeah. So we chose Pinot Gris because Pinot Gris, meaning you know, grey Pinot, has a little bit of colour in the skins. And you can make a style of wine called Ramato, which is what they make in, in certain parts of Italy from Pinot Gris. Right. And it means copper coloured. And so 
it's sort of a it's an interesting wine style and it falls somewhere between orange wine and rosé and red wine yeah. so you you get to get all of those good things you like about all those wine styles so you're right it's pinot gris but it has a little bit of sort of pinosity and red fruit to it sure does it's got that sort of spicy ginger spice of orange wine but it's got a bit of the freshness and and that nice acid line of rosé so this one's really quite simple. We do a little bit of carbonic maceration on it and, and seven days on skins and then press it off the barrel. Keep it simple, make it good. Well, the fruit must be great fruit, though, because the flavours are incredible. And, uh, I, I mean, the wine hasn't been obfuscated by too much stuff, you know, so you can t- still tell it's a, a Pinot Gris, in my opinion. But that Romato style is interesting. Talk to the listeners. Take us through, when you say carbonic, they probably don't really understand what you're talking about. There. Can you make a simple kind of explanation of what carbonic maceration is for our listeners? I'll give it a crack. It is one of those buzzwords at the minute, isn't it? Carbonic well, it is, um, but I mean, it's actually a really old school <laughs> way of doing things as well. So, Yeah, well, it, look, carbonic maceration essentially is a, a fermentation that happens inside the berries yeah, spontaneously and uh, it happens anaerobically. So it has to be happening in the absence of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And so the, the best way to do that in the winery is a whole bunch picked and then seal it up. Yeah. So you take the grapes, whole bunch hand-picked, pop them in a, in a vessel, and then you seal it up so no oxygen's in there. And it starts to ferment, and this magical, wonderful thing that no one really knows how it works happens. Yeah. And the end goal <laughs> is what carbonic maceration does, which is the important part, is it gives you this really interesting lift yes. of spice and sort of like cherry cola flavors. And, and so that's really what you're looking for, this nice sort of plushness in the mid-palate that you yeah. get from carbonic maceration. Yeah, the, the Dr. Pepper effect. I had, um, had, yeah, Gary, had, exactly. Gary, had Gary Mills on uh, live in the studio a couple of months ago and my favourite carbonic macerated story, he had a ca- uh, Cabernet Franc that he used to do that with um, and he had 500 dozen or something small, 300 dozen that was due to be exported to Japan and back back in those days, it had to go via some export panel in, sitting in yep. the Barossa. And they, the guys were like, you can't export this. It's faulty, blah, blah, blah. They'd never had a carbonic macerated Cabernet Franc before, obviously. Um, and I think that was trending on Twitter for a while. I destroyed the wine export panel or something. But, you know, it does give a, an interesting character to the wines. And, uh, you know, I think that's a really cool wine. The other two I wanted to sort of call out before we chat about other things was the, the Pinot Noir, which I just thought was amazing. So talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, so the, the Pinot Noir is particularly a little bit fond to me. Like I mentioned, I did a vintage in Central Otago. Yep. I also did a, did a vintage in Oregon. Yeah, cool. Probably the two, the two most famous and two best New World Pinot Noir producing regions. Um, yep. And they make wines that are unashamedly Central Otago and Oregon. They're not trying to emulate Burgundy or, or these sort of cool climate Yaris style Pinots. They're yeah. sort of embracing what they are. Yes. And, and, and I sort of figured... The Adelaide Hills is not the Yarra. The Adelaide Hills is not Burgundy. It's not Tamer. No. Why try and force a uh, square peg into a round hole? Let's make Adelaide Hills. Let's make New World Pinot. Yeah. And so with that in mind, we've got a few different clones in this vineyard. Uh, MV6 is probably the predominant one, but 777 and then Abel. So we have a little bit of all three of these, and, and we essentially do another carbonic maceration wine for uh the majority so yep. 50% of this wine is locked down carbonic maceration and that's why it's such a sort of plush lifted delicious little slurpy pinot noir and then the the remainder we do sort of 50% whole bunch and just build a bit of that nice sort of rich tannin and texture into the wine 
Um, and in particular for me, I mean, a lot of people when it comes to Pinot clones, particularly in Australia, really love Abel because arguably no one knows because of the murky history of how it got <laughs> to this part of the world. It is. That it was from, from DRC, you know, so it's meant to be the elegant. Yes light delicious little clone but i love triple seven which is a bit of a maligned clone because it is it's perfect for new world pinot it's sort of rich fruit but a bit lighter on the palate and it just makes really engaging delicious easy drinking wines they um, certainly use they use a triple seven a lot in new zealand don't they they do in otago there's there's particularly a lot of triple seven which is why those wines from otago are so sort of rich and, and plush. delicious. They're plush, aren't they? Well, part yeah. of it, I, I, this is only my sort of interpretation, but part of it must be you're very far south down there. To get the phenolic richness or the phenolic ripeness, that is the tannin structure um, basically or precursors to tannins, you've got to hang it out longer. Uh, ergo, you're probably going to have a little bit more f- um, sugar to ferment and then they just have a little bit more richness in alcohol. Is, is that a fair thing to say, you reckon? From Macclesfield, I would say that's a oh, fair no, no. thing. Oh, no, from, no, from, from, from Otago, for sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Things definitely come in a little bit later there, and you have yeah. that nice long ripening period. Yeah, real hang time, yeah. And it's also quite dry down there. Right. Maybe you don't think of that. You think New Zealand's always raining, yeah. you know, Hobbitsville. Yeah. But uh, it's it's dry down there in Otago. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's the same in parts of Tasmania. I mean... You know, if you're up there, uh, you know, where Domain A is, they get less rain than they get on the Nullarbor. So it's a desert, actually. But, yeah, the, the Macclesfield, um, I like that you're expl- – it says on your website you're exploring Macca. I like that. I think that's – or Mackie. Little I can't Mackie. remember. Mackie. Mackie. Mackie, yep, Mackie you know, where it's going. You've got to shorten it up. Yeah, you? Tumby or Tumba, I don't know. So, yeah, well, I don't know. Richard gets <laughs> to Palmy Richard. or Palmer. But, oh, no. Don't Let's ask that. That's <laughs> Mate, no. Oh, I'm from Canberra. We didn't have those in Canberra. Um, so uh, let's also just chat a little bit about the Shiraz, the Syrah, the Shiraz. Like what, what's, the, what's the feeling behind that? Do you have an inspiration for that? Or, again, it's just what kind of fruit you're getting from the vineyard. Well, the, the Syrah in particular is what this vineyard really, really grows well. Yes. It's a, an amazing Syrah vineyard. Um, and it, it's sort of now pushing 25 years old, so it's got a bit of age behind yeah, it. Cool. And it's a, it's really quite well pedigreed um, vineyard. So speaking of Shaw and Smith Sauvignon Blanc, yes. they also take a bit of this fruit for, for some of their Syrahs and they make yeah. award-winning Syrahs. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is sort of one where in, in 2021 made this wine from it we we did all sorts of different things and and then at the end of vintage we were doing a little benchmark tasting of everything we'd made and we both sort of went i almost feel bad saying this but our favorite wine this year is this syrah (laughs) and we're making all these cool things like mencia and alienica and whatever going back to your roots mates being being really aussie oh the syrah is so good um and so we you know we bottled it this beautiful wine um and it just—it's just delicious. It's sort of the inspiration was the Rhone. Yeah. Uh, again, cool climate Syrah, nice and peppery, heaps of that green pepper, stalkiness, whole bunches, yeah. and all those good things. And so, yeah, I, I just really love this one. And I, I guess we always thought it was great. And then uh, earlier this year, we entered into the Adelaide Hills Wine Show. Yeah. Two days late, so we only just made the cutoff. <laughs> Shout out to Justin for that one. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, we we got a notification in the mail. Oh, hey guys, you've won best Syrah. Yay! Uh, that's awesome. We like, oh, that's bloody awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we went we went to the dinner and <laughs> yeah, 
progressed through the lunch and, and then we won best red. Oh, okay then. We'd already had a few glasses by then, so we're getting a bit boisterous. <laughs> yeah. Then we got to the very end and, and they said, oh, wine of show, Seven Eves, Adelaide Hills Syrah. It won the trophy. Won the trophy, best wine, Adelaide Hills Syrah. Uh, best best, wine, best, of best show, wine of the Adelaide show. Hills I didn't know that. Well, it's a bloody cracking wine. I, I think it's yeah. fabulous. I, I I didn't know it won the trophy. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, no. Well, and, well and, as Mauricio said at the time, First thing you think is who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, look, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat, and there's lots of different parts of the industry, and there's big parts and middle parts and small parts and all this sort of stuff. You know, if you were a huge winery, you would have been putting stickers all over your bottles and all that, and that's how they leverage their marketing, and that's fine. You're a small winery or sm- small people doing cool things, and I think it's fabulous that you go in there and give the inverted commas big boys a run for their money, and not just that. Win a trophy for best wine, it's wine of show the the Adelaide wine that was last year, was it? Well, earlier earlier this year. Oh, earlier this year. So there you go, the the trophy winning wine. I did not know that. I yeah. should have done a bit more research. That's I oh, came in just right. well. I came in tasting the wines. I, I'm just yeah. I'm a huge fan. They're just incredible. And that the Syrah was the was the last one I tasted, and um, I drank that over a couple of days, and it just had layers to it. So. Really good. Now, before no, we no, before we finish up, Ben, I'm noticing you you must be a bit of a Atari slash video games sort of. Oh, I'm a nerd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> I'm just, I'm I'm not at the winery today. I'm down in my little nerd den, I guess. Yeah, Atari. Can, you've got a proper Atari system sitting up behind you there in its original box. I do. I've got a heavy sixer, as they're called, That's the uh, the OG Atari. That's and, amazing. Uh, probably about 3,000 video games around me in this room. I love it. <laughs> and that's probably you why... you your time doing something. <laughs> that's probably why uh, you've got little... Um, well, I see cartridges and VHS and um, tapes on some of your wine labels. That's it, yeah. No, it's sort of a, a shout-out to our loves. So that uh, the little Nintendo controllers on, on, on yeah. the Carbonic Gris in particular is yeah. a, just a little nod to... My uh, nerdy youth, I suppose. Ah, it's fan- it's fantastic. I like those little details, but I also like the fact that what you're doing is 100% totally and unashamedly authentic to yourselves, and that's a credit to you for for having the 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 guts and having the wherewithal and just having the 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 knowledge to be able to make these cracking wines. So I have oh, to thank, thank you for you. it. I mean, that's the end goal, isn't it? Or I think it should be the end goal for all of us making wine. Make things that are you and things you want to drink and hopefully people agree with what you're doing. Yeah, no, it's absolutely well done and I'm uh, so happy to be able to sell those wines. Ben Caldwell, thanks for joining us on The Wine Show Australia. Thanks very much, Richard.